Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you are morning people? Should we throw your hand up? Good for you, right? We're really happy about that. How many of you, I guess it's the rest of you, you don't like mornings and you don't like people pretty much, right? <laughs> how many of you not morning people are still nice to the morning people in spite of how they are? Are you, you okay with that? <laughs> Sometimes, occasionally. Uh, have you been in this situation before? Have you been in a moment where you're, you're in your day, the day has started and maybe it's a busy day and you're focused, you're hyper-focused Maybe there's some stress, there's certainly a lot going on, and somebody comes up to you, they get in your face and they go, smile, friend, this is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> Seriously, right? Mark was a guy in our church plant who every time you saw Mark, you'd walk up and you'd say, hey, Mark, how you doing? And you really didn't care, you just were being polite. So you'd say, hey, Mark, how you doing? And Mark every time would say, blessed and highly favored, and he'd say it loud so everybody could hear, and you're going, if he missed that one, he would say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. You're going, okay, Mark, (laughs) okay. You know, on one hand, I know that deep down, they're right, they are. But on the other hand, a lot of times, more often than not in my life, I just don't feel that way, and I'm not ready for it. You give me that, and I don't feel it, and we've got a little bit of tension here. And the psalm we'll look at today, if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 125, the psalm we'll look at today is about the distance between God's promises and our perception of His promises. It's about the difference between our faith and and sometimes our feelings. That's what this psalm is going to help us with. Do you ever feel that distance between your faith and what you know God has promised and living life in the world, looking around what you perceive to be true? Have you felt that difference before? Has that difference ever caused you to doubt? Has there been a moment where it's caused you to doubt that God is good, that God is faithful, that God in His Word is true? Has it caused you to doubt the validity of what God has said before? You might not want to say that. You go, that's that's a little heavy, Kevin. It's a whole other layer of anxiety to consider myself a doubter this morning. So maybe you might say, it causes me to struggle sometimes. I I struggle in in seasons in my faith. And you go, you know, I come to the Bible and I read and God says, A, B, and C. That's the way it's going to be. And you look at life and you're like, I live life in the real world, God, and my feet are on the ground and I have responsibilities and burdens and difficulties and I just don't feel like that is true. I don't see it. I can't see it yet. Who hasn't been in that place, right? We've all walked in those shoes, but that is what we call faith. Faith is having a belief or conviction that something is true even when we don't fully understand or recognize how it's working itself out in truth. The author of Hebrews tells us this. He says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for And it's the conviction or the belief of things that are unseen, right? So Paul, he writes to the Corinthians, he says, listen, Christians, we live by faith, not by sight, because sometimes the things that we see cause us to go in all sorts of ways. But we live by faith, 
sometimes we struggle with that faith and there's a distance between our faith and our feelings. That's why our Bibles are written, by the way. Our Bibles were written, John 20 says, it's all here so that we would be people who would grow in belief, in faith. And on one hand, faith is the easier alternative if you think about it, because faith simply is trusting in God. It's resting in God. It's relying on Him. It's being in a posture of receiving from Him rather than me having to get up every day and go, how on earth am I going to figure out what's right and what's wrong and what I should do and not do in this world? And how am I going to prove myself to this world? I've got to work to prove myself to myself in the mirror, to prove myself to other people, to the Lord. I've got to accomplish great things. Faith is easy because it's us resting in the Lord's provision and in His love and care for us. But I'm on the ground real enough to know and real enough to know that faith is hard. And Paul said it was hard. In fact, he wrote to Timothy, and this isn't a metaphor. He said that life is a fight of faith. And sometimes, really, it's just a fight with our faith. And I've learned something in my time so far. What I've learned is that it's really important for me to rehearse to myself and to others, God's promises, what they are, that they're true, and that I can rely on them today, tomorrow, forever. I mean, it's like the song we just sang, I will speak to my fears, I will preach to my doubt. You were faithful then and you're faithful now. That's, that's what I'm talking about. We have to preach to ourselves that hidden things are happening because our God is sovereign and He's never out of control. And Psalm 125 will help us quite a bit with this. Verse 1, It says, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. Verse 3 says, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, so that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the doers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Word of the Lord. There are three kinds of people described here. There are people who trust in the Lord and they feel secure. There are people who struggle with their faith has caused them to compromise their integrity and caused them to, to walk astray from God. And then there are a group of people who just really, faith is too much to ask. I have determined that I will not walk under the Lord's leadership. I cannot trust in His provision and in His word for me because faith is too much for you to ask of me. The psalmist, though, as he comes to write this, he's pretty sure about where he stands. And his security or his surety in where he stands comes from an experience he's had. This is a a psalm of ascent, and it it would have been sung by the psalmist as he headed towards Jerusalem to celebrate a festival or a feast with his people. And as he did, he comes into the city and he begins to, to look around. The city of David, Mount Zion, was built into the ancient bedrock, deep down into the ground. And you look through these psalms of ascent, and in Psalm 122, the psalmist there looks around and he goes, man, this city is built well. It's compact, it's laid out nicely, and there are walls and gates. He's impressed by the infrastructure of the city, but this psalmist, when he looks around, he looks beyond the walls, and he sees the topography, he sees the mountains and the hills surrounding him on every side, and where he stands 
in the middle of Zion, the city of David, with this layout and its walls and its gates and the mountains around, he can't help himself. He goes, I feel so safe in this place. But I want you to notice what he says. He, he says that there's a, a kind of people who share that same security. What does he say? He says it's not about just geography. It's about those who trust the Lord. It's people of faith who cannot be moved. And he takes a physical experience and he begins to see how spiritually it's also true. And we learned it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about what is Zion. We said, well, it's a citadel, it's a city, it's a mountain. Really what it is, it's the place where God dwells with people. And because God dwells there, the people are safe and secure and blessed. And we talked about how in Christ, Christ dwells with you, right? Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We know the Holy Spirit dwells, who is God, dwells with his people everywhere we go. Jesus promised, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you're in Christ, you are a Zioner or a Zionian. We couldn't decide which one it was. But here, the psalmist goes, those who trust in the Lord, those people of faith are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. And I want you to notice it doesn't say those who trust in the Lord should be like Mount Zion. Like it's now your task or your job to go and try to be steady and strong and secure like the mountain. It doesn't say that's something for you to aspire to or work at. It says those who trust the Lord are as Mount Zion. That's how you are. That is your place and condition in this world. And I'm thinking about how can that be true because sometimes I don't feel. Remember that word feel? Sometimes I don't feel it is true. So I began looking through the Bible, and I find that this same concept is taught all throughout the New Testament in relation to people of faith in Christ. We find in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 Peter 2, Jesus Christ is called the rock. Somebody say rock. 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 He's called the rock of our salvation. There's a story in Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, people say you're this, and some people say that you're that. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And they give some answers, and then Peter speaks up. He says, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one who's sent to save humanity. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're right. And upon this rock, upon the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the one sent to save, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will, hell will not prevail over it, right? Am I preaching? Okay. We're told that the Holy Spirit who is God dwells with us. He travels with us. He helps us in all things. We're told that if we are in Christ that we are immovable. We are unshakable because He is immovable and if we're in Him well, then we are immovable to whatever we face in life. Spiritual security and spiritual stability, they belong to people of faith, people who trust in the Lord. Now understand, trust isn't simply believing that God is real or acknowledging that He does exist. It's not simply going, well, yeah, yeah, there's a God out there. I, you know, there's evidence of it. I see it. He's pretty big. He's pretty cool. He did some things. Remember what James said in James 2? He said, you believe that God is one? Well, good for you. You're right. Demons believe that too, and they are terrified. They shudder at the thought, at the reality of God. It's good that you believe. I mean, 
The demons believe that. Remember last week we looked at Psalm 50? There was a whole group of people who were Israelites. They were the people of God. Their reputation was of being followers of God, but there was a whole group of them that had no thought or no care at all for the Word of God. They rejected it for the lordship of God in their lives. They rejected Him. They did not love God, but their reputation was that they were a part of the family, and there was no good for them at all except for a warning and a reminder that you really need to call out to the Lord for help, and He will rescue you if you will. To trust in the Lord in verse 1 here, means to respond in faith to the promises that He's given us in His Word. That's what it means. Not simply to go, yeah, God's there, and I trust that someday we'll figure this out, but it's to respond in faith to the promises He's made to us in His Word. This is what trust is. Trust is to believe that God has a special concern He has a prolific and relentless concern for even the smallest needs of your life. Why? Because he's promised it in his word. That's what the psalmist is encouraging us towards. He's saying cultivate this kind of trust in in your life. God cares for you. He's promised that he will bring all things, not some things, not most things, but all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus said, not one hair falls from your head apart from the knowledge and the will of the Father. Trust in the Lord in this way. And the psalmist says there's results of that. There's important and profound results in your life because of that. What are the results of trusting God in this way? The psalmist tells you three things. He says, one, if you trust in God like this, you'll experience stability in your life, even in the toughest days. He says, you'll be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. You'll experience that kind of stability in your life because you're not alone. You're not on an island. You're not teetering out here on walking the plank out into the abyss of life. But the Lord is holding you up. You will be stabilized by Him. He says it results in surrounding. The Lord surrounds His people and it results in sustaining. He says both that you will not be moved but abide forever and the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is encouraging us to cultivate this kind of trust in the Lord. Not one that is on whims and and is tossed about like Ephesians says by every wind of doctrine. Not one that is led by our feelings. Talked to Dr. Ken this morning. He said that would be like the caboose running the engine, right? But cultivate a kind of trust in the Lord that it that that is dependent upon God has said it is so and I believe him because he's God and you will experience stability. Like it, it will stabilize your life. You'll experience his surrounding and you will experience his sustaining work even when you need it the most. It's easy for me to say. It's hard for me to live sometimes though, right? That's the challenge. What happens when there's a distance between his promises and my perceptions We'll pull back to verse 3. Why do we have this difference at times? Verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness. Say scepter of wickedness. wickedness. Have you ever said that before? That's strange, right? The scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous so that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do what is wrong. Hear me on this. Every person of faith that I know or have known in my life is a sinner, a doubter, and an uneven performer, obviously including myself. And why is that? 
Verse 3, because of a scepter of wickedness on the land. Being surrounded by a culture that does not love God creates a distance between promises and perception in our life, period. It just does. When we are surrounded by cultures that do not love God, do not have a heart for God, do not care at all what God has to say, it creates this gap, this distance between His promises and our perception. We feel that in our lives, don't we? We feel it every day. I mean, we can hardly get out of bed before we begin to feel the tension. We are conscious of the presence and the promise of God, but we are just as conscious of the scepter of wickedness in its many forms. Turn the news on. Your alerts have already hit you on your phone. You wake up, you turn over, you're like, oh my goodness, all the things that have happened. The political chaos and the politicalization of absolutely everything. Racial tension and our inability to even agree that it's real and that it's harmful, it's hurtful, it's disgusting, right? Suffering, injustice, materialism, and no one's doing anything about it. No, on the contrary, everyone's going, you just do you, right? You just live your, what is it? You've heard it before. You live your truth. I can't think of a more harmful phrase than you just live your truth. Like in itself, that statement makes absolutely no sense to me. That means there is no truth if everybody has their own truth. And even churches are twisting themselves up in this. We've talked about this a lot over the last year. Churches are making mistakes and twisting themselves up with power and politics and absolutely confusing the message of the gospel to the world around us. We're not helping sometimes but we're creating even more chaos when we entangle ourselves in that way. And that's what the psalmist reveals is his great fear here in verse 3. He's afraid, he's worried that the dominant culture around the people of God in this time will lead even godly people to walk astray from the life that God has given and God has promised and God has taught his people to live. I think about in, in, in the Bible, even in uh, Jesus' life, in his early life, when he was 12 years old, we have a story about him and his parents and a, a crowd of people making the same ascent to Jerusalem. And as they're heading towards Jerusalem, you imagine that what they would do is they'd sing the Psalms of Ascent. So they're singing 121, 122, 123, 120. They're singing these Psalms. They get to 125, and you can imagine Jesus singing, right? Those who trust in the Lord, I don't know the tune, are as Mount Zion. And then he looks out, and he sees the walls, and he sees the mountains, and he goes, yes, it is so But then maybe his eyes move over here and he sees the fortress Antonia, which is the Roman headquarters there in Jerusalem. And it's a constant reminder that there is also evil oppression in the land. And he must think, all of them must be seeing this fortress and seeing Jerusalem going, man, both are at work in this place. And what does that mean? And the psalmist is worried. In verse 3, he says, he says, the righteous, and he talks about they could put forth their hand to do wrong right? He's implying they could, and his, his idea is that an evil culture can lead to such skepticism about the faithfulness of God that it will lead godly people even to stray from him. I, I don't mean to say it too simply, but it just is this. He's afraid of peer pressure. The psalmist is afraid that peer pressure and the desire of power will lead people who have loved the Lord, who belong to the Lord, to live as though they have no care or no knowledge of God whatsoever, He's worried about this, and it's a well-founded concern. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Matthew 24, said this, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Do you hear that? 
Jesus said that. He made this observation. He knew it to be true. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Or in other words, the, the prevalence of evil, the prevalence of skepticism of God's faithfulness will lead, it, lead all people to an easier path to sin all the more. All people when it's around them all of the time, but the Lord, the psalmist says, will not permit this to go on forever, right? It's what he actually says in verse 3, the scepter of wickedness, which is what causes the distance between promise and perception, the scepter of wickedness shall not rest here. It won't remain this way. It's a promise. So, if we're going to be skeptical about something, let's be skeptical about our perceptions. When our perceptions don't line up with God's promises as the people of God, let's choose to believe His promises over our perceptions every time because, frankly, our feelings, our emotions are not good guides for our life. I was talking to Dustin about this week. He said, emotions are liars. And I think that's, I think that's true. A lot of the time, our emotions do not tell the truth about what is and what isn't in this world. Jesus gave a parable in, uh, in Luke 18 about an unjust judge. And in the parable, he's teaching that there are times in life where maybe our faith in God or our dependence on God may be shaking when we don't understand how God is bringing about His promises. And he talks about this woman, it's a parable, who is a widow who in their society would have been marginalized, would have had very little power and protection in their society. So she goes to this judge to get him to offer her legal protection that would provide for her in her life. This judge is described as being an unjust judge. It says specifically that he has no care for God and no care for people. So he wasn't a good selection for judge, but probably too familiar in political conversations, right? So this woman goes to him seeking legal protection, and he looks at her, and he says aloud, I don't love God, and I don't love people, and I don't love you, but I don't want to see you anymore, so I'm going to give you the protection that you're seeking. And Jesus makes a point that the Lord is always faithful and always working to bring about His promises, and He will bring justice for people. He will bring goodness and protection for people, but we shouldn't grow weary in praying or in waiting for His deliverance because sometimes He'll do it in times and in ways that we would never understand. Here He was providing through an unjust judge. And Jesus ends this parable with a question. He says, I wonder if I'll find faith like that here. Because faith is found in faithfulness. Do you understand that? Faith is found in, in faithfulness. And I tell you this, because walking by faith doesn't mean that you'll never have troubles. You know that. Jesus promised that. He said, in this world you have many troubles. And he gave encouragement. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Walking by faith doesn't mean that you'll never have troubles, but it means no matter what you face in this life, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you always to the very end of the age. He will be with you when you face troubles. With that in mind, I want you to hear this. Please listen. The biggest danger in this life, living in a world of skepticism, a world of critics, a world who does not love God, the biggest danger isn't what they are going to do to you, the harm that might be inflicted on you, the greatest danger is what you might become 
in the middle of life like that. The temptation the psalmist puts in front of us is this, that being surrounded by evil may lead us to walk astray, but he gives a solution, the remedy. What rescues you from that serious danger is living in the presence of the living God. The word faith is a, is a very churchy word to some degree, right? It's easy to, to just put aside as this feeling Faith is not an obscure feeling, and it's not an, a spiritualized way of thinking or speaking, but it's continuing to seek the Lord. Faith is seen in faithfulness. It's continuing to go to Him. It's continuing to ask His help. Lord, just help my unbelief, was the prayer of one man that encountered Jesus. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's continuing to go to Him with that prayer, continuing to walk in His ways even when you're not sure where they're going to lead on a Tuesday. It's continuing to wait on the Lord when you don't know exactly when the promise will be delivered on. It's continuing to believe, not blindly believing. It's not closing your eyes and hoping your fall will land like on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? But it's believing based upon the record of God's faithfulness in the past. You were faithful then And I believe you'll be faithful now and for all time. Stay close to God in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will experience the Holy Spirit dwelling and delivering when you most need Him. That's the assurance here. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. Somebody give an amen to that. Amen. That's the promise in Psalm 125. He will stabilize you. He will make your feet secure. He will surround you. He will sustain you. It's the promise. The the perception that His promises aren't good comes from verse 3, the scepter of wickedness. When there is distance between his promises and your perception, pray. You hear me there? That's just simple stuff, right? That's the invitation here. When there's distance between his promises and your perception, pray. God's faithfulness in the past should lead us. The fact that God always delivers on his promises should quicken us to prayer, to dive in deeper with Him, to know Him more, to talk with Him more, to understand Him more, to understand His Word more, to understand His promises more, to bathe ourselves in the faithfulness of His Word more. And and reality is, that's how trust is built. It's built in prayer. How can you trust someone with whom you've had very little contact with? Do you get a lot of spam calls on your cell phone right now? Can anybody tell me how to make it stop? Send me an email. I've, I've, hit stop, I've typed stop it for every text. I, I don't, I'm going to confess. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. I had a call one day in the office. I was really busy. I don't know why I thought it would be funny, but I said, hello. And they started a sales call. They said, that's Kevin there. I said, uh, he died. <laughs> I, I felt really guilty because the guy goes, oh, no. I'm so sorry. I was like, I am too. <laughs> I've laid it out before you. I've laid it out before the Lord. Confess your sins to one another. I don't know how to make it stop, though. But I get these calls from salesmen and saleswomen, and they say, trust me, I know what you need. And I go, how can I trust you? I don't know you. 
This is the only time I've ever spoken to you. How can you build trust with whom someone, with someone in whom you've never had contact with? Or you've had very little or sporadic contact with. We build trust with one another by sharing salt. Lots and lots of salt. There's a Russian proverb, trust is built over a pound of salt. Imagine how many meals together, how much time together would be needed to share a pound of salt unless you eat at, at McDonald's. And no offense if you work at McDonald's, there's a lot of salt there, that's all I'm saying. If you've been feeling fearful lately, or you feel like you're just kind of out there and there's protection that you need, and you're just not receiving it, the invitation of this psalm is to draw near to God, to live in the presence of the living God. Do that starting in prayer. God, I'm here, and I need your help to know that you're there, and that you're real, and that your promises are true, and that I can depend on them. Lord, I'm here. Are you there? Look at verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. That's a good prayer that you can pray. Begin by praying that God will fulfill the promises of God. <laughs> That's a great prayer. Is, is it good because God's not sure if He's going to fulfill His promises? Like He's, he's going, oh, I don't know, we'll see what they say. And then maybe I will if they pray enough. Has God said, I'll promise to do these things if you pray? No. It's because when we pray that God will fulfill His promises, it ties up our minds and our hearts with the will and the mind of God. That's, that's what happens when we pray. This is one of the greatest things we can pray. Praying the promises of God is the way we invite the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts and to our minds over our fears, to minister these words and these promises to us when we are struggling to believe or when we're tempted to turn aside. Praying the promises of God is one of the greatest ways we can invite the Holy Spirit to carry out Romans 12, 2 in our life. And Brandon preached Romans 12, 1 and 2 on Senior Sunday. It says, verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, how do you, how do you get transformation? Well, it says, one, you could be conformed if you just go along with the flow of the dominant culture, you can just be conformed to the way of everyone else and just go wherever they go. Or you can be transformed by the Holy Spirit as your mind and your heart are tied up with the mind and the heart of the living God. When you pray the promises of God, it's one of the greatest things you can do to invite the Holy Spirit to transform your life in the greatest of ways. Verse 4 and 5 again. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the doers of iniquity. Okay, verse 4, who's good? Like, am I, am I good? I mean, I want to be good, but I don't, I don't feel good a lot of times. Are you good? You know, Psalm 14 famously says, there's none that does good, not even one. Isaiah says, no one does good. He says, we're even, we're kind of like filthy filthy rags. So verse 4, it says, do, those, do good to those who, who are good. It's not talking about people who never sin. It's not talking about morally perfect people. In context, it's talking about people who trust in the Lord. That's who's good. It's those whose trust in the Lord is being cultivated. They're leaning into Him. They're loving Him. They're knowing Him. They're depending on Him. They're choosing to believe His promises over their perceptions. Remember, Jesus said only God is good. Remember that? 
Only God is good. So that means any goodness in us, if there's any at all, where does it come from? It comes from Him at work in our lives, the Holy Spirit pouring His goodness into our minds and our hearts and through our, our lives into this world. So any goodness in us flows from His presence and His heart working through us. Goodness is not defined by our perfection, but it's, it's defined by our faithfulness to receive from Him and to trust in His goodness in us and through us in Christ. Listen to this. The good, this is a definition for you. The good are those who have come to agree with God about their sin, about their need for salvation, and they agree with His complete sovereign lordship over their lives. Verse 4 is tricky. Do good to those who are good. What are we talking about? The good are those who have come to agree with God about their sin, about their need for salvation, and agree with His completely sovereign lordship in their lives. Those are the ones that are good. Those are the ones who are upright in heart, upright. They're straight up with God about their deepest need and about His solution for it. They're not crooked with God about it. They're straight up with Him about it. And so that kind of shows us there's a a question inherently laced within verse 4. The question is, are you straight up with God about your deepest need and His solution for that? Are you crooked with Him about that? I'm not going to be real with you. I'm not going to agree with you about that. Are we in line with God about that? And if so, has He made you good is the question of verse 4. Is your life secure because He's made it secure? And the reminder here is that your security in this life for all of your days is based upon who God is and not how you feel. You with me? That's good news because I feel a different way every morning. Your security is based upon who God is and not how you feel. That's what the psalm teaches us. And so the Christian life is a decision to live based upon who God is as revealed to us in Jesus and not how I feel about myself or about God or about my neighbor or about my enemy. It's choosing to live every day based on who God is as revealed to us in Christ. And in our world of social media and retweets and hashtags and likes and comments and changing ethics and influencers and power struggles and identity confusion and injustice, you have a choice. You can put your confidence in people (laughs) or you can put your confidence in the person who died for you and who perfectly at all times embodies grace and truth, always has and always will. You can put your confidence in people or in the one who died for you. Psalm 125 says, being a Christian, it's kind of like sitting in Jerusalem on this day where the city is laid out nice, the festival is, is, is in preparation, the people are gathering, the walls are good, the gates are good, we're surrounded by the mountains. That's what he says. If your faith is in Christ, you are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken and abides forever. If your faith is in Christ, the Lord surrounds you. He surrounds His people with His love, His guidance, and protection. If your faith is in Christ, the scepter of wickedness, it will be broken on the outside, and the temptation to sin will be broken on the inside. And God will do, this is the promise, God will do good to those who are good in Him. I'm convinced in, in this life that faith is a fight, and I will be fighting with my faith to the day Jesus returns. So let me, let me let you off the hook if you're concerned. Do I struggle? Yeah. 
The Apostle Paul said it to Timothy. And, and I'm, not in his, I'm not, you know, on his level, but I'm saying it to you today. Life is a fight with faith. But I'm also convinced the life of unbelief is much harder. Now and forever. It's a life of uncertainty, unsurety, and it depends a lot on my ability to carry things. I love the end of this psalm. Verse 5 says, peace upon Israel. Eugene Peterson gave a a funny little translation of this. I want you to hear it. He said, relax. In Christ, you're secure. God is running the show. When you feel there's a distance between his promises and your perception, cling to Jesus and remember, he is running the show. Let's pray. Christ, this morning, we needed just a a simple reminder that you are not off of your throne. From the day that you rose from the grave, you made sure and certain that you had the power to give us life. And in that, we want to trust. Lord, we believe, just help our unbelief on the days that we shake, on the days that we, we turn aside, on the days that we go, I just don't know if I feel it. I don't see how that can be true. Would you do a work in us? Would you help our faith to grow? Spiritually, we praise you that we are immovable, unshakable as your people, that you have us firmly in your grasp. Just help our minds and our decisions and our words to catch up with the spiritual reality that in you, in you, all good comes. If any here today have not turned to you, if they're still on the path we've walked on, I've walked on, where we said, I'm going to figure this thing out. I've got to figure this thing out. Somebody's got to figure this thing out, but they haven't turned to you yet. I pray that even today would be a day, not by my words, but Holy Spirit, by your work, that you would speak to their minds and hearts in a continuing way as they leave from here. And as they go through their week, would you meet with them? Would you be with them? Would you help them to see and know and love truth and to be set free, to enjoy, to have great joy in being known and loved and cared for by the sovereign Lord? And may we, your people, carry that testimony with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.